I'm Maz Jobrani, and this is Time and Again, a podcast series for LACMA. As you've heard in previous episodes, this series is inspired by an exhibition at LACMA called In the Fields of Empty Days, the Intersection of Past and Present in Iranian Art. In this episode, we discuss the Shahnameh, or Book of Kings, the Iranian national epic. Although it was written in the Islamic era, which was over a thousand years ago, it continues to have relevance to Iranians today. We also explore the importance of both revering it and questioning it. With me is Linda Kamarov, curator at LACMA. Now, Linda, I want to pick your brain about the Shahnameh. You know, so much of the art in your show references it. So let's start with this real easy question. What is the Shahnameh? Simply put, it's an incredibly important poem in Persian culture, and it has some of the same power as the Iliad and the Odyssey of Homer does within uh, Greek culture and world culture as well. My colleague Masameh Farhad from the Freer and Sackler Gallery said this. The Shahnameh is sort of the text that one looks at. In fact, I, you know, when you, as in Iran, when you start learning Persian, you, you start learning with a, you know, verse from the Shahnameh is that, that basically, you know, knowledge will make you strong. And that's the little verse that, that you learn as a, whatever, six, seven-year-old. And it's stuck with me. It is probably the best-known, most important work of uh, Iranian literature. What does Shahnameh mean, even? It means Book of Kings, and it tells the stories of the pre-Islamic kings and heroes of Iran. Some of them live for hundreds of years. Some of them have normal lifespan. It's written by Ferdowsi. He completes it in the year 1010. It obviously took him a long time because it's composed of 50,000 rhymed couplets or thereabout. So we begin the Shahnameh with this mythical history of Iran. You have the first kings who introduce such basic things as wearing animal skins for clothes Mm. or inventing fire and cooking and other types of things. And then we gradually move into something that borders on, on history. But even then, it's not entirely clear that it's all history. Some of it is is, uh, fabricated clearly. And I think that's part of the thousand-year-old appeal of the Shahnameh, that people can relate to some of the flaws of of the heroes. I think the issue is when we come to confuse this with history Mm. of Iran, and my colleague Sheila Blair has something to say about this. It is a fictionalized retelling of the past, the pre-Islamic history of Iran from the creation up to the Arab invasions in the 7th century. It's such a framework because it, it sees the past in terms of royalty and dynasties, which is one way of looking at the past, but I, it's not one that you would use in America, for instance. We see our past in America in terms of heroes and revolutions, so it, it's quite a different way of framing the past. Well, you know, uh, that's a uh, an interesting analysis that Sheila makes because there is also an argument to be made that in America we nowadays do have dynasties. So whether it's the Bushes or the Clintons or whoever you want to mention, it is interesting because as I read the Shahnameh with my son, he's almost 10 now, and there's many moments where he stops and goes, wait a minute, why is that guy who was good suddenly being bad? And how is he still in power? And 
and why doesn't somebody do anything about it? And the problem, in all honesty, is that as someone who's a grown man, I don't have the answers. I really don't know why the these the story goes the way it goes. But I do know that it continues to capture your attention. I keep wanting to move forward to see what happens. There are a lot of moral and ethical lessons that you learn in these, and there's also a lot of warnings that you have in, 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 the, in the stories. Yeah, again, I think that's why it continues to capture the imagination of its, of its readers. Even if these kings are mythical kings, even if they lived a long time ago and they're historical figures, is that they're relatable. Their flaws are relatable. The the twists and turns in the story, someone shifting from good to bad and maybe back to good again, or someone who, again, doesn't conform to our idea of what goodness is, is it, 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 it appeals to us. It teaches us these critical lessons of um, maybe you don't always win, and maybe you don't always win by being good. Sometimes you win by cheating a little bit, and even those people move ahead in, in the Book of Kings. Listen to what Masame Farhad, the curator at the Freer and Sackler Galleries, has to say about this. What is fascinating about the Shahnameh, it, it functions on so many different levels. I mean, on one hand, it's sort of great colorful stories with these, you know, superhuman figures who sort of roam the world and live forever and all of that. It sort of becomes a moral guide on a micro level in, in sort of, you know, not becoming too arrogant. I mean, that, that you know, applies, can apply to all of us. I mean, just because you've done something good doesn't mean that it sh- should let it go to your head because, you know, sooner or later, you know, you will fail. So it sort of works on the micro level, but it also works on the macro level. I mean, how a ruler should rule. And those values um, function on both levels, on the micro and the macro. As Gaiu Mars, is the first king that you meet who basically invents everything, um, and then it just goes to his head. He starts being cruel, he starts, you know, mistreating his people, and that's the the end of his rule. So that can work as a king um, who rules over, I don't know, thousands of people, but also on a level of, of a personal level. So I think it's that, again, it's these universal values that are so critical and have helped shape some of the sort of the ethics and sort of moral landscape of Iran, I mean, for thousands of years now. You know, as an Iranian, I think what Masuma says has uh, some validity, actually a lot of validity, in that we are a proud people. If an Iranian does anything good in the entire world, every Iranian will get an email about it. Um, So we're very proud people. Um, And I think the Shah Ahmed talks about the pride and sometimes the dangers of the pride. We today understand that Homer's epic poem, The Iliad and the Odyssey, are kind of a national story for ancient Greece, and some a similar case could be made for the Shahnameh. And in fact, both are based on oral tradition, as my colleague Masame Farhad says. Much of Persian poetry is based on 
oral tradition, it's not surprising that these stories were just passed on from one generation to another. And no piece of art is really identical. I mean, even if people and try to copy each other, and that's where the sort of the human touch comes in. Because even if you try to copy, you know, somehow, you know, the fact that it's done by two different people, there's something going to be different. Sheila Blair echoes this thought. You will find no two manuscripts of the Shahnameh that are exactly the same. There are always lines that were added in, and you don't know. Well, maybe the person who was copying it just wanted to put in a special line because he said, I really like left-handed people, so I'll put in a line about left-handers here. Um, We don't know. And there is a whole science now of trying to establish what was the original Shahnameh. To my mind, that's kind of irrelevant because it was created as an oral tradition. And so undoubtedly, in every telling, it was slightly different. The other thing that's amazing is the feat of anyone who can remember 50,000 lines. جهان را به شهنام آزین کنیم هران کس که شهنام خانی کند چه مرد و چه زن پهلوانی کند One of the things also about the Shahnameh that does fill Iranians with pride is the beauty of the language. It's poetry, and I want to stress that for our audience because we don't often think of great stories being told in rhymed verse, which is exactly what the Shahnameh is. So it's not only interesting if you read it in translation or if you speak Persian to hear it in the original language because it's absolutely beautiful to to listen to. Shireen Nishad is one of the artists whose work is featured in the exhibition. I think you have to realize that as far as I know, and, uh, and I, I think this is in Iranian people's blood, that going through, um, you know, historically, uh, through one dictatorship after another, what has been the saving grace of the Iranian society has been... Um, you know, their reliance on the allegorical poetic language in the way that it becomes, um, you know, pure spirituality and a mystical way of escaping the banality of everyday life. And I think that, um, you know, Iranian people are survivors. And much of the reason they survived the tough time throughout the past many decades um, has been um, in their relationship to allegorical language and to poetic language. So that's why Shahnameh even uh, more importantly has such a profound place in the Iranian people's subconscious in the way that it sort of reiterates um, the spirit of being Iranian. Many of the contemporary artists whose work is represented in the exhibition draw upon images and characters from the Shahnameh. I asked Brooklyn-based artist Nikki Najumi uh, what he thinks of the Shahnameh. The story is an epic story of uh, old Persia. So it's a valuable uh, in terms of holding the culture, holding the language, holding the the spirit of uh, Iranianness. Uh, 
It's in there. The, those are the things that you can you can argue with it. But um, you you also have, could have this uh, critical attitude uh, that you know a lot of it is a praise for hero heroism that later on could be a dictatorship. I'm not against you know reading it or analyzing or work with it. I'm I'm against praising without condition. You know, this is the question: Why Rostam did this? Why didn't do that? What? Why in this situation he went to kill, for example, his son? You know, those are the questions that uh, we should ask, and we should be able to find out if uh, we have a lot of professors. You know. The teachers of Shahnameh, most of them are praising correctly because of the of the basis of the culture. Yes, of a keeper of the language. Yes, but in terms of the content of the work, then we can we can take a look and uh, you know and find out what's what is really happening or analyze what's happening. Linda, when he talks about unconditional praise that comes with the Shahnameh, what do you understand that to mean? Well, I understand it to mean that in in looking at something that was written to be the national epic of Iran, that not all the heroes conform to our own modern-day ideas of what makes a hero. Even the great Iranian hero Rustam, who's kind of like a Persian Hercules, is not a flawless character. In fact, he's a deeply flawed character. And I think what Nikki is saying is that maybe these are more stories than they are models for our own present day life, and they should remain in the realm of stories, maybe to inspire us to, all of us to do something that might be heroic with our lives, but not necessarily to unconditionally praise these heroes and heroines. Yeah, and I think I th- I mean I think that there's something to that in terms of um, our you know in America we see every every other month there's a new hero film out and I think something that a lot of these filmmakers have caught on to and you might be able to find some of this in um, the analysis of the Shahnameh is that heroes are flawed and those are what makes the best hero movies is when our hero lets us down or lets down whoever he's supposed to be defending and then in the end comes back and wins again. But we see that he has some flaws, right? Right. I think that the idea of battles and uh, rulers fighting with one another to to gain the throne is something that we can kind of relate to, as my colleague Masume Farhad has to say. I'm a great fan of Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. And when people sort of ask me, oh, it's so, you know, it's so cruel or whatever, and I keep saying, because it reminds me of the Shahnameh. And I think, you know, there are certainly parallels because in the Game of Thrones, the characters are also flawed. Um, There are very few who are just good or bad. And, And they undergo certain changes as do the characters in the Shahnameh. I think that's one of the reasons why Game of Thrones is so popular, is because you never know what's going to happen. And in the Shahnameh, it's the same thing. There are always twists and turns. Some characters appear and some disappear, and suddenly they show their dark side, and sometimes they show their kind side. 
And I think that's what makes the story so interesting. You know, this is actually really interesting because it shows that these these rulers were good and they were bad and there were heroes and there was demons, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna dive even deeper into all of this and the Shahnameh in our next episode. Thank you to everyone who contributed their insights today. My partner in this journey, LACMA curator Linda Kamarov, artist Shirin Nishot, artist Niki Najumi. Curator at Freer Sackler Gallery, Masume Farhot, as well as scholar Sheila Blair. To hear more from this series, please visit lacma.org/podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Time and Again, go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The series was produced for LACMA by Sound Made Public.